Today's scripture reading is from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Beginning in John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, great, uh, sorry, For I have given to you example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If I am not speaking of, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. God is powerful and strong and mighty and sovereign and majestic. From Exodus, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? Or with the psalmist, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Or from Deuteronomy, with a 
mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Speaking of great deeds of terror, signs and wonders, our Lord God, they write about, brought us out of Egypt. God is over all and above all. The 113th Psalm, the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is above the heavens. The 95th Psalm, the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the caverns of the earth and the heights of the hills are his also. God will not be mocked. You know, the second psalm, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? He who sits in heaven laughs. The voice of God is powerful. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars in the 29th psalm. Isaiah refers to God's voice as majestic, a flame of devouring fire, a cloudburst, a storm, mightier than the thunder of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. God is beyond our grasp and above our understanding. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. All of that is true. And you might feel pretty good about it. All of that is true. And now this. Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, the 13th chapter of John, as Keith read to us. The book of John, the prologue that many of you would know, the first chapter, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things, speaking of Jesus Christ, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And now this. After the stories of Jesus' life, in the book of John and the other Gospels, his teaching, Parables and miracles, the narrative reaches its height just before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what is it that Jesus will show us about God? This. Now, here's why this matters for you. And you don't have to look long in this world to realize that the, the distance in between these declarations of God's strength and majesty and the picture of Jesus Christ kneeling before his disciples to wash their feet, the space in between that is very, very important in this day in which we live. Because a lot of people are interested in the first things I said to you. But not a lot of people, well, there are some. But we don't as easily run to this second picture. What is God like? He is like all of those things that I said, but he is like this. You live your Christian life in between these things, the way that you understand your life, the way that you see the world. Our way of understanding ourselves and others somehow is in between these declarations of God's strength and majesty and the uh, reminder that Jesus gave us of the fullness of God's character in what he did for his disciples just before he faced his crucifixion. 
you live your life, I, I don't think it's much of a stretch to say this, and it depends on where you are in kind of the space of your life, if you're in the middle of your career or you're beginning a career or you're getting an ed- education and you think, what will it mean for me to be successful in this world, whatever that means. If you've retired and you think, oh, I've done well for myself and now I'm kind of okay. Wherever you are in, in kind of the space of your life, I think it's true enough for you to understand, for me to say, that your life is pulled in the direction of the bigger What I mean is, you will judge yourself and others, and even for those of us who know this isn't really the way we're supposed to see the world, it just happens. Somebody walks up to me, you're you're dropping your kids off at school or something like that, and somebody comes up who looks really put together and successful, and you know they've really done a great job in business or something like that, and you make all kinds of assumptions about them, often positive. Somebody who faces many more difficulties, you might feel a little bit differently. We're pulled in the direction of power and status and independence. This is one that's hard for me to let go of, and I'm sure it's hard for many of you to let go of. That independence as a virtue, almost, that I don't really need anybody else or anything else. I can care for myself. You're pulled in the direction of independence and even strength, and now even wealth as a virtue. And as I say, I think that you judge others by these standards, and often you judge yourself by these standards, which can lead to a very uh, depressing way of seeing the world. Actually, I think it's a trigger for depression for a lot of people when they think, I haven't made it by these standards. Or I I would assume, I have made it, but I still don't feel so great. Henry Nouwen, who speaks a lot about scenes like this, says this, We act as if visibility and notoriety were the main criteria of value of what we're doing. It's not easy to act otherwise. Statistics do rule our society. The biggest box office hits, the best-selling books, the fastest-selling cars, the record-breaking athletes. These are the signs that we are dealing with something significant. To be spectacular is so much our concern that we, who have been spectators most of our lives, can hardly conceive that what is unknown unspectacular and hidden can have any value. Now and continues and asks, who am I when nobody pays attention, says thanks or recognizes my work? The more insecure, doubtful, and lonely we are, the greater our need for popularity and praise. It's just some good human teaching in there, by the way. Sadly, this hunger is never satisfied. The more praise we receive, the more we desire The hunger for human acceptance is like a bottomless barrel. It can never be filled. So Jesus Christ, the night before he was crucified, took off his outer garments and took that towel and wrapped it around his waist. When Jesus did this act, he did so, the text says it, he did so knowing that the Father had given him all things, that he had come from God and was returning to God, and now he does this. In other words, this act that Jesus takes up is from a place not of insecurity, but of security in God. And you know this as well in your life. You know that you're much more able to feel free and like you don't have to pretend and you don't have to present yourself if you feel secure. Of course, the challenge for us as Christians is to realize our security in the love of God whatever the externals of our lives say. 
So often we can act with arrogance or judgment towards other people, and that is very often a sign of our insecurity. You know that. Jesus knows the strength that is in him because he knows his identity in God the Father, and from this security he takes up this act. From this power and sovereignty and strength and majesty, the mighty God, the eternal God, the one who is over all and above all, This is what the text says. He showed them the fullness of his love. He loved them till the end. In other words, all of those descriptors, mighty and majestic and strong and sovereign, they are all contained somehow, not only in this person of Jesus Christ, but in the fullness of his love as demonstrated of all things in this act of kneeling before his disciples and washing their feet. This is particularly Christian. But this is not necessarily the way that many outside of the Christian church would describe the Christian church these days. Humble. Secure. Not afraid. Servant. This is Jesus serving. Jesus teaching and healing and loving and now serving. But the service is not simply an act. It's a demonstration of the fullness of the character of God. In Mark 10, verses 43 to 45, Jesus had taught this. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The disciples came to him and asked a question that many of us have asked. Basically, who's in charge? And they asked it personally. What they needed to know, some call it the brother-in-law rule. You just have to have more than your brother-in-law, power or money or whatever, and then you'll feel good about life. But their, their brother-in-law was each other. And they were saying, you know, I don't have to have it all. I just, I just need to know that I'm more important than him. So can you tell us the hierarchy? Can you tell us? This is a very human and very contemporary question. Can you tell us where we rank? And this is what Jesus responds with. If you want to be great, and he knows that's what they want. So if you, bless you, if you want to be great... If you want to be great, then here's the way to be great. You must become the servant of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He taught this, but now he shows it in this act of washing the disciples' feet. And he says, you must do the same. This is not easy for us. It would be easier... Actually, it is easier because this is the mark of a lot of Christian and religious enterprise. It would be easier to act as if the Christian life is simply defined by making the right choices. Whoever sold you that, it's not the whole truth. Trust me, if you make all the right choices and don't seek God, then you're going to be a tyrant. And not so great to be around. It would be easier to act as if the Christian life was defined by making all the right choices or by coming up with some program for personal spiritual development and growth. These are the two things that religious uh, communities often do. Either we're going to try to be better than everybody else or we're going to try to, through certain practices and activities, get closer to God than everybody else. But what is it about Jesus in this picture when he shows us the fullness of God's love that calls us to something better than that? Well, I'm going to say these three things. This picture shows us humility and intimacy and vulnerability. And firstly, humility. Humility removes distance between people. 
Now, one of the things you're all good at, and some of you are better at this than others, and it depends on who you're relating to and what room you're in and who's coming over for Thanksgiving dinner, that type of thing. But you are, most of you, uh, maybe all of you, pretty good at knowing how to keep distance from people. Some people could teach a course in it, but others just, you know, we've learned this in our culture. Much of the time, this is necessary. Because when I talk to you for a couple of minutes on a Sunday before church or after church has started or whatever it is, we probably don't want to get to the depths of your emotional well-being in that moment. Sometimes distance is just necessary. But other times you do it to protect yourself from the other person or from the truth of yourself. You keep distance by identifying people in their place, their roles, your judgments on them as successful or not successful, Maybe they are like this or like this. I hear this in church all the time, and I say it, by the way, too. But sometimes the way that you can speak about one another, you can say, well, I know, they're like this. And what that does, you see, is you just keep them in this place, and sometimes that can lead to greater understanding, but often that can allow you to keep a safe distance between you and them. And you pretty much know, if I asked you right here, even people you don't know who are sitting here today, you could tell me about all the other people in this room and what they're like. You're so good at that. Of course, we always say the trouble is you can't even speak of yourself. We don't even know the depths of our own heart. But we know just what motivates the person sitting back there or up there or over there. And this is how we keep our distance. Jesus washes his disciples' feet as an act of humility. The truth of this, then and I believe now, though he has given us the example, so there have been some people who have lived in this way, Jesus washes his disciples' feet as an act of humility that no master or teacher or Lord would ever do this. Why? Because it breaks all of those distances. And you can see Peter, the disciple, is made uncomfortable by this. He says, as Keith read, now Jesus is coming to him to wash his feet, and Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? What's Peter saying? Don't do this. In fact, later he says, you will never wash my feet. In other words, Jesus, my Lord, there is a distance to be kept between me and you, even though I'm your follower. An act of humility that removes this distance. What if God humbled himself in a way to remove all the distance between us and him? The all-powerful and sovereign and mighty and eternal God, removing the distance between us and him. What on earth would that look like? It would look like this. Power is expressed in powerlessness. And as now and says, the mystery of our ministry now is that we are called to serve not with our power, but with our powerlessness. And this is something that I believe the Christian church is still learning. And we might be still some distance from, though there are many wonderful bright spots. Humility removes distance and intimacy removes pretense. If humility is a tough word, intimacy is tougher, even for us today. Now, this would be a challenge for you, and, uh, and it would really be uncomfortable, and you'd be like, please don't do that, Todd, and whatever else it is. But if I, you know, after the service, and you'll just find your way to walk behind me or through another door or something, if I say this, but if I made a point after the service, of, as you come to shake my hand or say goodbye or whatever, I actually look into your eyes, you wouldn't want that. There's an intimacy. What if I came now? Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. I came now and knelt down before you and said, I'm going to wash your feet. 
you don't want me to get up. And you'd find something to look at to keep your head down. Like Peter, you would say, stop it. I say removes pretense. And pretense can be kind of a a negative word, like we are pretending. What I mean in a deeper way is that intimacy involves a stripping away of all the roles and titles and achievements of our lives so that we are confronted simply with another person. This is almost impossible in our culture. Even in church. Henry Nouwen, who I've been quoting in this, he speaks of this in one of my favorite little books. I think it's the first book I read of of Nouwen's. He was someone who was a priest and a Harvard professor and a very successful author, lecturer, did conferences all over the United States. And then he went to work at a community for disabled people founded by Canadian Jean Vanier. He went to work at L'Arche. So he went to live in a home where uh, the residents were mostly disabled people. And those who cared for them, and they cared for one another. And Nowen says that the thing that confronted him most in going to work there was that nobody there cared about his books. They couldn't even read them. They didn't know the letters by my name. He says, I went to pass meat to somebody the first time we had a meal, and, and I don't know why I'm recalling this, but the, and, and one of the disabled people says, oh, Steve doesn't take meat. He's Presbyterian. <laughs> what that means... He said they clearly had a different understanding of the world than I was the world I was used to impressing people in. Now and says, as I went into that community, I was forced to confront my unadorned self. There's an intimacy in this. And some of you are mostly, in most of your human interactions, miles away from that. Because you have so many achievements around you. Or failures. I was forced to confront my unadorned self, now and continues, and then I was open to give and receive love regardless of my accomplishments, and I'll add, or failures. To be with another person is intimate. And here is where Jesus is with you. Intimacy is humbling, not only for Jesus, but for Peter. Peter shies away from it. It should make... It should be no surprise to you that Peter isn't really that into intimacy. <laughs> you know, you know about Peter, right? He's just like this bull. And then somebody says, stop, Peter. And finally, vulnerability. This is still theologically, like as we try to describe God in the world, and we try to say this is our Christian faith. This is one that not a lot of other faiths and religions, uh, I, don't, I don't, well, some would speak about the first two, the third one, would get, the list would get shorter. That there is, with and in Jesus Christ, a vulnerability. And I can't plumb the depths of what this means theologically because he is still the sovereign, majestic, eternal God. But he has come to us in a way that he can be rejected. I'll say to you also, and I would ask you not to jump to conclusions about what I believe about this and that and the other thing. I'm going to say to you something that I have in my faith. I believe that our rejection is no match for the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't really know what that means, but I do believe it when I pray. He can be rejected. In this picture, Peter tries to reject what Jesus is doing for him. Don't wash my feet. 
And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me or part with me. Basically, you don't get this if you don't allow this to happen. If you keep this distance and reject this intimacy. And then what do you think Peter says after that? It was read to us. You wouldn't even need to hear the reading if you knew Peter. Because Jesus says, you know, I need to wash your feet. And then Peter says, okay, well, wash all of me then. So Peter to switch from one to the other like that. And Jesus says, basically, you can read what he actually says, but he basically says, settle down, Peter. (laughs) Right? I want more of God or whatever it is. Right? It's okay, Peter. Just let me wash your feet here. (laughs) Right? Some of you know that hunger, too. It's a good thing. We're not condemning Peter for this. He's like us in so many ways. Jesus' love can be rejected. What would we like here as Christians, Sutherland Church, North Vancouver, our friends, our families, we would like more people to know about the love of Jesus Christ. If that is true, and we can humble ourselves in this way, as Jesus has shown us, then more people will know about the love of Jesus Christ. If we have that desire, and you have to ask yourself if you have that desire, but I think it's safe to say that many Most of us here would say, I want more people to know about the love of Jesus Christ, to accept him and to trust in him, to say yes. And yet, we find that we struggle to know how to talk about Jesus Christ, to share our faith, to invite. We need more desire that others would know the love of Jesus Christ. but And not as an excuse to stop the outreach impulse, which we need more. But as we seek to reach out to others, we need the understanding that even as Christians, we can reject him. Even Peter. No, you can't do this. Choosing not the God who has identified with us in powerlessness and humility, but drawing another God, only strength and mighty and and majestic as the world understands it. But as long as you have the picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, you can know one thing as you go from this place. Strength and majesty and might and power do not mean the same thing to God that they mean in the ears of this world. Because they include this picture of Jesus washing a disciple's feet. But we can reject it. And so the question for us would be, have we accepted Jesus Christ? This Lord Jesus Christ, kneeling at the feet of his disciples, have you accepted that, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or is your faith angry? Are you insecure in your faith? I mean, I don't know how to put it. I could say, well, you need to accept Jesus. I guess that's how I put it. You need to accept the Jesus who knelt down at his disciples' feet and humbled himself in this way. And now he says to you as you accept him, now you go and do the same. Humble yourselves. Serve others. Become the servant of all. We've got a terrible, sinful world we live in. Jesus meant, well, not the servant of them, of course. Is that what he meant? Of course not. Judas was there on that evening. Have you sought to understand and respond and follow, letting go of the distance and pretense and living a life of intimacy and faith? Simply put, will you accept Jesus Christ? Jesus says on this occasion, you call me Lord and Master. And you're right, for that is what I am. 
So if I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also must wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you also do as I have done to you. And so I could put an image of it up, but it would be kind of too news item-ish, so I'm just going to leave this one up. But some of you over the last number of years have heard around Easter time the story of Pope Francis and what he's done with this Catholic tradition of having... Actually, Anglican churches do it too. We've done it from time to time. They have uh, a foot-washing service. And traditionally what the Pope has done, right the Bishop of Rome, the head of the hierarchy, traditionally what the Pope has done is wash the feet of other Catholic priests. Right? You could see there might be some even biblical justification for that. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. But what Pope Francis did, trying to emulate Jesus Christ when he said, do this to others, is over the last number of years since he's become Pope, he's gone into places, he's gone into prisons and washed the feet of men and women prisoners. He's gone to refugee camps and washed the feet of refugees, people of different faiths. What's interesting to me about that, if you see the pictures, it's remarkable. You can see the Pope with still enough of the Pope robes, you know. I was Google imaging, Google searched it, right, for images, and I'm scrolling down, I'm like, oh, that's clearly like, okay, that's refugees, that's whatever, that looks to be in prison. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that looks like a bunch of priests. I'm like, oh, different Pope. They were older pictures, right? But one of the things you see if you do a search for those images, you'll see a few images of Pope Francis holding the foot of one of these people, a prisoner or someone who's sick or a refugee, and he's washed their feet and he's kissing their feet. It's stunning to see. What's interesting to me about it, other than the heart of it, is that as I searched it online, every major news organization in the world covered the story. In other words, doing what Jesus told us to do and serving as Jesus served us is evangelical. Will you accept Jesus Christ? It's a beautiful picture. I'm so glad, aren't you, that this is in our faith? In a world where we're trying to impress one another with power. And it's an invitation to all of us that we would humble ourselves and seek to serve as Jesus has served. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to include to pray for um, some people. Some, I think, are in your bulletin, and, and others uh, have, have been mentioned to me maybe this morning. We're also going to pray uh, for the offering. After our sermon, there's the way we've redone the order. There's a couple of songs that we'll sing. And we want to let you know that uh, you can receive prayer at the back during that time and after the service. We also want to highlight this time as a time for response. This is your time to sing along or to pray, to ask God in your prayers, Lord, what would you have me do and know and even change because of your word received this morning? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning admitting our sinfulness. We have, uh, when, when we open our eyes, we're aware that we are unworthy of your love. Makes it a greater gift. Uh, like, well, Lord, how you said you came to seek and save those who were lost. We are those lost You said that it wasn't the healthy who needed a doctor, but the sick. And we say that spiritually that's where we are, apart from you. So we come to you confessing our sinfulness. 
I'm just going to leave some space there for you to offer up in silence to the Lord things you know that you have done wrong or left undone. Lord, hear our prayer. And may we know that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of the love of our Lord Jesus. We come before you mindful of people in need in our community. I heard this morning that Peter Takis is not doing well. We pray for him and for Magda, his mom, and for Charlie, Peter's brother. We thank you for Dave Hogg and the celebration of his birthday tomorrow. We pray continued strength and blessing in his life. We thank you that we are part of the same community that Dave's a part of. We're grateful. We pray for the needs of this community on this Thanksgiving Day. We're mindful that many families, not just families represented here, but families all throughout this community are gathering, and some people are a little nervous about what's going to happen later today or tomorrow. Family difficulties or disputes or... Sometimes the people that we're closest to can be the hardest for us to relate to. We pray for the needs of our community and our families in this world. We pray for those who are lonely and oppressed and facing situations of being cut off from security in life. We pray for those who are refugees. We pray for places of the world where there is much discord and lack of peace. And we pray for your church, Heavenly Father, that we would always seek to reflect the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would not be afraid and that the first sign of that lack of fear would be an ability to love more, not less. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for power in our lives and in this place. We have too often settled for just a little faith or just a little bit of your presence, and we pray that we would desire a greater and stronger walk, Lord Jesus, with you by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for this offering. As we've given thanks this morning, uh, you have been extravagantly good to us, and we pray that we would let go as an act of worship, and we pray that the gifts that are given and received in this place for the offering would be used in such a way that we would know and others would know of the love of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for this time and for your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers can come forward and take the offerings.